The Courage to Lead, episode 239. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome David Spitolnik. David Spitolnik is a successful executive with over 40 years of experience in both large technology companies and in consulting to and leadership of mid-market, closely held, and family-owned businesses across a variety of industries. In addition to serving as a member of the PDA Board Governance Certificate class, and previously as chair of the Private Directors Association's Private and Family Business Center Committee, David frequently writes and speaks on topics related to leading, building, maintaining, and strengthening businesses and their governance structure. Drawing from a broad range of experience in the United States and internationally, David is called upon to coach and mentor business leaders to work with companies to develop and implement their long-range plans and to advise businesses on board creation and effectiveness so that the individual, the board, and the company can maintain powerful forward momentum. David is also active in the community, currently serving on the executive committee of the board of the Youth Job Center, whose mission is success for young people in their careers and life. David, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Yeah, good stuff. Um, I know you've got a BA in economics, an MBA in finance, and you got your coaching certificate from the Academy for Coaching Excellence. Very cool. Was coaching a, a natural progression for your career? Well, I think it was a natural progression, and it, it's uh, and it's something that I've done, you know, whether formally or informally, uh, almost from the time I was in high school. So, yes, it was a natural progression. Yeah, coaching and mentoring, right? Yes, there sir. Is, there is a little bit of a difference. Oh, there's a there's a big difference, and it's coaching, mentoring, and advising. Frankly, the third one, and you know, it's only very recently that I, somebody actually, we had a long conversation about that. And the notion of coaching typically is around a spe- very specific issue, and working with whomever to help them figure out exactly how to get through that issue, get to that issue. Um, mentoring is being there as a sounding board, mentoring and advising, mentoring typically with younger people, but mentoring is being there as a sounding board, helping the people think, helping them, you know, ask questions about how to get to where they want to get to. And then advising is it's similar to being a member of somebody's personal board or their, or their formal board, but advising is, um, being willing to ask questions of the person that you're advising, you know, the, the, the best type of advice that you can often get is not answering the question directly, but answering the question with another question. And how do you, you know, well, gee, that's interesting. What would you think about and doing that in a way that allows the person to move forward? Yeah. Get them unstuck. Give them other options to think about things. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. All right. No, we're some, talk and, about- and, and, and well, and, and just one other thing, but yeah. sometimes those questions and I've had the experience, and I think we may have talked about this, of asking questions, and the people look at me saying, what are you talking about? Why is it that we're, we're you know, you've gone off into left field or off onto another planet? Yeah. And we can come back and talk about that a little bit, about how they've, the long term, they've come back and said, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Absolutely. Yeah, sometimes it, it it breaks them free. And yeah, we'll definitely, definitely talk about that, because that's, that's one area of the coaching that I really 
love. All right. Um, I want to talk about how you got to start, how you got to where you are now, who you work with. But before we get started, I've got 10 questions that I like to ask all my guests. Now, listeners know these are the questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So, David, if you're ready, 10 questions for you, sir. Have at Question it. number one. All right. What is your favorite word? Hello. Nice. That's a new one. I like that. Okay. What's your least favorite word? Goodbye. All right. What turns you on? The opportunity to be with people and to learn more about what they're doing and, and how they're doing it and the kinds of issues they're facing and the kinds of joys and happiness they have, as well as their sadnesses, but getting getting to know people. Nice. What turns you off? I, I think the biggest thing that turns me off is just being shut down by somebody, by by whether it's a group, by a person, um, and being shut down for no apparent reason that that I can discern, but saying, yeah, no, goodbye. Again, same kind of thing. I'm out of here. Yeah. All right. What sound or noise do you love? Uh, I think the sound that I love the most is when family and friends are together and and talking and laughing and sometimes crying, but but the group togetherness and being together and, and just the the joyful noise that that comes from that. Nice. Very cool. All right. What sound or noise do you hate? It goes back to what turns me off. I, I think it's the kind of thing of somebody saying of of people saying goodbye, people not willing to listen. People, you know, I don't have any problem with disagreeing with someone. I have a problem with them not being willing to listen and talk about it. And we still may disagree at the end, but at least having a, a meaningful conversation, I can move. And therefore, I believe everybody else can move as well. Good job. All right. What is your favorite curse word? You know, I was recently in Ireland and I had never seen this before, but um, their use of the word fecking, F-E-C-K-I-N-G, and there's t-shirts and coffee mugs and it's all over the place. And that's a, it's a relatively recent one, but that's there now. Good job. All right. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? You know, um, I, I think that the art of historical fiction, of developing, delivering on historical fiction, I mean, the, the art of, of telling people about what really happened, but then also writing fiction and developing the story a little bit more because we can't always know what Eisenhower was thinking or what Lincoln was thinking and and building the whole story so you can see the person as well as 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 well as the facts that are going on. So historical fiction writer for me. Nice. Very cool. All right. What profession would you not like to do? I think it's anything where I have to do it by myself and be in a cubicle or be in a in, you know, just not being able to interact with people. Something like that is not something that I want to do. I'm with you. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Yeah. The, first of all, it's welcome. Um, there are a lot of people who are excited or sad and excited about you being here so you can continue the conversation you started. So welcome. Good job. 
Very cool. All right. David, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I want to talk about how you got your start, how you got to where you are now, who you work with, how you help them. And then at some point, we're going to transition into courage and leadership. Okay. So listeners, we're going to be talking about all that and more right after this. So stick with me. Hey, Coach Arlen here. Hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, make sure you share it with your family, friends, colleagues. Uh, like it, leave a review, and definitely subscribe. When you subscribe, that helps boost the podcast to where it's uh, seen and heard in a lot of different areas. So make sure you hit that uh, subscribe button and subscribe. And uh, again, thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoy the episode. And I'm back with my guest, David Spitolnik. David, thanks again for taking time out of your busy day to talk to us. Looking forward to this conversation. So growing up, did you know you wanted to be a trusted advisor or did you have other plans? You know, I don't know. First of all, start with the notion that I'm still growing up and we've got <laughs> to go from there. I mean, I have known, I've, I was fortunate to have two incredible parents Unfortunately, my father passed away very young, but I watched the way that they gave back and the way that they were asked their opinion by people. And so it started very early with me of, of saying, you know, I want to be somebody who people come to and ask. And I think that I mean, one of the best examples of that, I remember, I think it was in college when writing the first formal resume that I wrote. And I don't know if you remember back in the old days, you had to have a career objective on the mm -hmm. on the resume, and you know people would, oh, I want to be president of this, I want to be, and and the, I said, well, I think that the career objective for me is I want to be in a position where my opinions are requested and respected, and so that kind of started that that didn't start, but that's kind of what I've always hoped for. Nice, very cool. And I was looking at your your background on, on LinkedIn. I know you did a short stint with Booz Allen, consulting firm. And then from there, right into director positions and uh, including VP at business development at Motorola. You've had a, a great career. Thank you. Uh, it was it was fascinating. It was, uh, uh, you know, and, and again, the, the Booz, getting, going to work for Booz happened. I was, when I was in graduate school, I was actually, uh, first a volunteer and, and then a graduate assistant in the admissions office at Kellogg, Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management. And the um, one of the guys who uh, I was who was an admissions volunteer for us worked with Booz, and I told him at one point who I was applying to jobs with, and he was in the trans we were in the transportation group at Booz, who I was applying for jobs with, and he said, "Well, have you applied to us?" And I said, "No," and he said, "Well, why don't you?" Okay. So I applied and I, had, as well as finance and accounting, I also had a specialty in transportation. And so I ended up getting a job with Booz, then moved out to Washington from Chicago. And um, the woman that I had met while I was here in graduate school and I decided to get married and she couldn't move out to DC. Booz didn't want me to move back to Chicago. So I ended up leaving Booz after a very short stint, but it was a, it was a remarkable experience. And then Going to Motorola, actually, I, I went from Booz to uh, another company, Centel Corporation, also in a telephone company, utilities, and then on to Motorola. And that was just a remarkable experience because it gave me the opportunity to um, be cross-cultural. And I worked, I was always based here in Chicago, but I had the opportunity, I don't know, it was somewhere 
when I had started, I think I'd been in three countries outside the United States. And um, when I left Motorola, I think it was maybe 50 or 60 countries that I'd been able to be in and travel in and do business in. And it was just a remarkable educational experience. I, I would often ask them when they were going to send me the tuition bill. Nice. Yeah, uh, that's one thing. I, I was a consultant for uh, a while around the US, Canada, Mexico, the UK, Europe, just the traveling, meeting other people, seeing other people and what they're struggling with and realizing we're all pretty much the same. We all have a lot of the same things that we have to have to deal with. Realizing they're the same, but also it, it really got me to understand culture and, and how the cultural differences. And I would joke that I had this um, I had this locker at O'Hare Airport, this virtual locker, where whenever I would go to get on a plane, I would park everything but my integrity and values and then be able to go and do business in these countries because the way that we did it here was not necessarily the way that they were going to do it there. So I had to be open to listening and learning about you know, how they did things. That was such a remarkable experience and, and being able to realize that you have to do that because so many people think, and I had many colleagues who said, well, you know, this is the way we do it at Motorola in the States. So therefore that's the way that we need to do it there. Didn't quite work out for them. No, not at all. And I, I don't think people realize that, you know, here you walk up to somebody's office, a couple of knocks on the door and you walk right in and start talking business. In other countries, you take time to get to know the person. How was your day? How was your family? You know? And yep. then after all of that is done, then you ease into the business side. You can't just walk in and, and hit them up with business. Well, and it's it, it's that, and it's also just understanding, I mean, the dynamic. I, the, one of the first things I did at Motorola was I, I joined, I think, I think I know, I joined on Halloween of 1988. And on November 15th, I was starting in a project in Madrid, Spain, and we were working on a deal. And... Fast forward about four or five months, and we had we were this was a joint venture to do some manufacturing, and we had it down to almost the end. And the guys, we were five or six issues. We had spent the day before um, working on stuff, and again, we were in Spain. It was going to be a manufacturing venture built around Motorola stuff, and so we were going to be having to send people over. So English was something that was just you know we thought it was mandatory. So had that conversation the day before. Next day we walk in, meeting's supposed to start at noon. Finally, and this is in 1989, so uh, Spain at this point was still a little bit on the, you know, manana kind of culture. But walk in at noon, meeting's supposed to start. Finally at about two o'clock, they come, okay, let's, let's start the meeting. Okay, we walk in, we sit down, and my counterpart who was leading the, the negotiation on the other side of the table looks at me and says, oh, looks as well, so it's time for lunch. I said, lunch, come on, we just got here. Why don't we just order lunch in? And the guy looks at me and says, David, lunch is as important to the Spaniards as English is to Motorola. Okay, let's go. So we proceeded to leave. There were four or five people on my team, four or five people on his team. Proceeded to leave and walking to this lunch. This guy, is. We, he and I are walking together a little bit behind the group. The rest of the people are up ahead of us. And the guy links arms with me. It's like, ooh, that's interesting. On the way to lunch, the four or five blocks, we had four or five issues. We resolved the issues. And we get there and I say to the guys, okay, we're not supposed to drink during, you know, during the during the day, but 
we just resolved the issues. We'll tell you what we did when we get back to the office. Have a drink, everybody. We should celebrate. My guys said, oh, no, we can't do that. So guys, it's okay. We, we succeeded. We'll do it. But it was just this whole thing of understanding the culture and being, you know, he was comfortable enough with me to link arms. He was comfortable enough with me to walk. And, and it just was a very different understanding of culture than anything I'd ever seen before. Nice. Love that. Yeah. So many, I love meetings outside of the, the conference rooms and the offices and things like that. When you just walk, sit down, have a cup of coffee and chit chat, you do, yep. you can accomplish a lot. Very cool. So with your current coaching and, and mentoring leaders, um, what do you help them with? What are they struggling with? It depends. It's the, it's the best legal answer. You know, I love that because as a consultant, we were taught any question you're asked, always answer, well, that depends, right? If they ask you what time it is, well, that depends. And where we you know, are. What time right? zone are we in? Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. And, and, and so, I mean, a lot of the times it, it's a variety of issues, but they kind of fall into, this is the type of issue that I'm facing personally. This is the type of issue that I'm facing in my business, this is the type of issue I'm facing in my community. And based on those type of issues, I then have to respond with questions. And again, whether if I'm coaching them, it's helping them to, you know, really drive down on whatever the issue is. And this is how, this is a way to approach it. And when you start off with, this is my way to approach it, you know, they're not gonna learn that much as opposed to asking them questions. Here's a way to approach it. What do you think? How can we modify that to work with you as opposed to, you know, a bigger, broader issue of let's let's talk about what's going on. What are the kinds of things you can do? Do you have to do this yourself or can you enlist others assistance in getting yourself through that? So it's it's just a variety of things depending on the situation. And again, these are people who are some have independent consultancies, some have large businesses. Um, some work for public agencies or public organizations. And it's just, okay, how can we, how can I help you think about the issue that you're facing and help you, you know, in a very personal manner, but, you know, very personal, confidential manner, help you think about the kinds of directions that you could take and the pluses and minuses of those. Oh, that's the way you're going to go. Well, have you thought about this? And, you know, well, gee, yeah, I did. And this is okay, great. How about this? Yep. Okay, so making sure that they've thought through and making sure that they're presented so that when they go in to face the situation again, they're comfortable that they've thought it through. They've they've talked to somebody who they think may have a little bit of insight into the issue or, you know, frankly, sometimes I mentioned earlier, sometimes, you know, when I'm asked a question, I will come back with a question that seems to be from left field or from out of space. And there was one time when I was talking to some folks and the, they, there were questions or there was an issue going on. And I asked a question and the, the head of the business, the head of the, the organization that we were talking to looked at me and said, that is such a bizarre question. It's totally not related. And they moved on. Two days later, I got a phone call from him saying, you know, we were in a meeting today and we were talking about the issue. And one of the guys brought up the question that you had asked and then had some thoughts about it. And that's allowed us to take a path that we had not really thought about or to to start out on a path that we hadn't really thought about that we think will now really drive us much further than we would have gone had we stayed within that little zone that we were working in. So nice. asking questions is is yeah. one of the key things that I, I do. 
Absolutely. No, I love that. It, I, I've taken a couple of classes in neuro-linguistic programming, right? NLP. And they say when somebody gets stuck, they can't really explain the problem. They can't really describe the problem. Ask something like, well, if you could give it a, a color, what color would this be? And they look at you like, what? <laughs> it's like, what color? Well, it's dark, it's muddy, it's it's brown and yucky. And, and they just start describing and that opens up the door, kind of takes them out, right? Um, and some people are stuck more um, visual rather than uh, the using their other senses. If you can try to ask them a question in one of those other senses, it could shock them out of that stalemate and, and get a move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. So um, we spoke earlier, you mentioned that you always ask your business leaders a, a specific hard question. You ask them to look in the mirror. Tell me about that. Well, I, I ask them, this is often when I'm first meeting someone and especially, you know, if I'm trying to be an advisor or a mentor more so than being a coach, because with advising and mentor mentoring, I think you really need to know much more about the person. And yeah, you need to know something when you're coaching them, but advising and mentoring, you need to understand a lot more about who they are and how they think. And so looking, one of the ways that I, I have attempted to do that over the years, when I first meet somebody or when I'm in the process of a conversation with them saying, well, you would like me to come and help you think about a variety of issues. We're going to start off by you taking me on a guided tour through your mirror. And I want to need, I, I need to get to know what makes you tick, what makes you think, you know, so that I can, I can, you know, I'm never, I'm never going to be you, but the more and the the more quickly that I can understand who you are and how you are and why you are doing the kinds of things you do, the better I I believe I will be able to help you. With coaching, again, it's much more of a if this is a specific issue. Yes, I still need to get to know you, and I need to know your strengths and weaknesses around that specific issue. But it's not as necessary that I understand and know the complete you as I think it is when you're advising or mentoring someone. Yeah. And like you said, with coaching, it's asking questions. It's not giving the advice. It's not telling them what they should do. It's asking questions because generally they know what they should be doing. They have a pretty good idea what is holding them back. It's asking those questions to get them to, to open up and, and acknowledge it and then move forward. You know, I, I think part of it also, um, Coach Harlan, Coach, and I'm sorry, how should I refer to you? Coach Harlan, whatever. Oh, that's, yeah, Coach Harlan's fine, sure. Coach Harlan. I mean, part of it is when you're, you, one of the analogy when you start talking about coaching, people often immediately move into sports and start talking about the sports analogies of coaching, and that's wonderful. And but in most sports, there are very specific things that you need to learn how to do. It's kind of like the ten thousand strokes and, that you've heard about in tennis and the ten thousand kicks and the ten. 000. As opposed to in business, yes, it is. There are things. There are very definite things that you need to do to accomplish a specific task. And the, the, the smaller the task, the less, you know, the, the, the more easily it is to say, do A, do B, do C. Um, as opposed to, as you get broader and wider, it becomes much more about, it's not only about you, but it's also about everybody around you and everything that's going on around you and them as you're trying to address the issue. So coaching is, yeah, I mean, fine. I can tell you how to hit a forehand. I can tell you how to hit a backhand. I, I can't actually, but I mean, I've been coached on that, but the, the people 
you know, I, one of my favorite stories was, and it's actually something that's in the book that, you know, was about let's, let's work on your backhand because your forehand, you know, you're never going to be able to win, or I think it was backhand. You're never going to be able to win um, with the forehand, but with your backhand, it's amazing. And so work on your strengths and how does that integrate into the entire game that you're playing? Nice. Very cool. And I know you, you mentioned that you work with um, family owned businesses. What are, what are the struggles that are specific to family owned businesses? (laughs) Well, you start off with, and I can't remember whose quote this is, but one of my favorite quotes about family businesses is if you've seen one family business, then you've seen one family business. And, and so Part of it is that a family business is encompasses a series of a, a whole group of individuals who have a relationship that has nothing at all to do with business. And then you bring that into a business environment. And, and so trying to deal with the business environment issues and the family issues is something that you need, people need help thinking about and, and understanding and knowing what the boundaries are, if there are boundaries. And again, in some families, there are no boundaries. It's, you know, we're going to run the business from the kitchen table or not. And so, you know, we we need to understand as we're dealing with family businesses, understand the dynamics of the family, understand how the dynamics of the family are coming to play in the business, understanding what generations, generation and or generations we're dealing with. And um, then also, if we're dealing with not just siblings, but cousins, you know, it's all of those kinds of things. And so you think about, um, I don't know what, what holiday you celebrate when you bring your family together, you know, think about those dinners and the kinds of things that go on in those dinners and the kinds of conversations that go on in those dinners. Now think about moving that over into the, the work environment now think about work, moving that into the work environment where you've got people other than family members who are also sitting at the table. And how do you manage within that environment of having all of these different inter- in, in, engagements going on? So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but oh, it does. It's, it's, it's the beginning of the, you know, again, if you've seen one family business and you've seen one family business. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of, like you said, intricacies and <clears throat> being able to differentiate, being able to um, to compartmentalize. This is happening at home. This is happening here. The, a lot of times that gets muddled when you're in Absolutely. business together. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and it, and it, and again, as you know, for some, you we go back to the notion of culture also. So you have the culture of the family business in well, in Northeastern United States, you have the culture of family business in Southern United States. You have the culture of family business, pick a country, you know, in China, you have the country and in, in, in somewhere in Europe, <clears throat> very, very different family culture. And now bring the business community to that, bring the business environment to that. And how do you interact with that? How do you, how do you deal with that? It's just a, it's a fascinating, fascinating exercise. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you look for in a leader? I look for, I personally look for someone who understands the difference between leading and managing. You know, managing is, this is how you're going to do it, do it. And, you know, I don't, I don't, Brooke, I, I don't want any of you to do it any way different as opposed to, okay, here's the task. Um, 
And, you know, you've done this before, go off. Do you have ideas for you, for the team about how you could improve on doing this? I look for someone, um, a leader for me is someone who is always willing and interested in learning. Um, a, a leader is somebody who, you know, I've done not who doesn't say, well, I've done this for years, so I don't know, you know, we're going to do it my way or else. And there are some leaders who are like that, as opposed to a leader, again, who asks questions and, say, and is willing to have people ask them questions and, say, and ask them why. And so <laughs> I look for someone who's interested in continuing to grow and continuing to learn as they're, as they're driving whatever, their business, their organization, their life forward. Very cool. And then if I were to bump into any folks that used to work for you, in all your past lives and everything, if I was to ask them what type of leader you are, what would they tell me? What kind of leader are you? Well, and I, and I think you're you're. It's it's been a while since I've had teams of people working for me, and so I think that the you know, in in different situations, I always tried to be the kind of leader who would bring people together to ask them you know, their thoughts on what was going on. Um, I always tried to include the team as we were driving things. I would have meetings with the entire team to talk about team issues, and which for some people was very uncomfortable because the team would address sometimes issues that were within one member of the team's purview. Mm-hmm. And, you know, well, why are you asking them something about what, why, what I'm doing? Well, because I ask you guys to help me, and I think that by asking others to help you, they may come up with a question or an idea because of something that they've done that will enable you to do what you're doing even better. And and so um, the that that willingness on my part to ask questions, to be asked questions, um, you know, and I think. The, the simple or part of the answer to what kind of leader was I, I was open, but I was also understanding that there were times that I would ask, I would ask for input and then, sorry, I would ask for input and then uh, we would have to close down the conversation because we needed to make a decision. So I would make the decision and move it forward. So I think that the simplest explanation is adaptive leader. I'm willing to adapt to the situation. I still have this core set of values, but I adapt so that we can move forward. Very cool. Yeah, adaptive leadership. Good job. Um, So on the program, we talked about courage, right? Where do you find the courage to escape the comfort zone of the nine to five to create your own success? Where do you find the courage to overcome setbacks like illnesses, bankruptcy, divorce, uh, failures? Where Where did you get your courage? Where did you get your courage to, to step out and create you know, your own your own consultancy? I, I think uh, part of it is the the willingness, the ability. I back up a step. I, I mentioned, you know, you asked me about my parents. I the you know, my dad passed away when he was fifty one years old, very very suddenly. Boom, he's gone. And I looked at the kinds of things he had done, and I said, okay, I want to model myself after that. I, my mother still alive and, and went forward for another, I don't know, 25 years, 25, give or take years beyond that. And, and so the, and in both of their cases, I understood that they both had been continuous 
leaders, or continuous learners, not only leaders, but learners. <clears throat> and so courage is being willing to, for me, is being willing to walk in to, to seek out new and different opportunities that are beyond perhaps what you're used to doing and to go off and to, to try something different, try something new. I mean, I mentioned that you know, when I joined Motorola, um, 15 days after I joined Motorola, I was negotiating a joint venture in Spain. I mean, I had negotiated joint ventures before. <laughs> I had never negotiated a manufacturing joint venture before. I had never negotiated a venture in Spain before. Um, and, and it just was the, the courage um, is, is linked to willingness and interest in learning. And so um, I've, I've always wanted to continue to learn. And so that's, and, you know, understanding that sometimes that was going to put me in a position where I wasn't really going to know a hell of a lot, you know, but I was going to be able to go forward and grow as a result of that and pull people along. So that, that's a key foundation. The other thing is um, my family and my friends have all been on this journey with me. And so having this tight group, my wife, whom I fortunately have been married to for now over 40 years, you know, it's a very, you know, she asks me questions and she's not shy about asking me questions and giving answers when I ask questions. And so having that kind of a, again, group of people around who you can ask questions who, and they, you know, that they won't give you the answer that you want to hear. They will give you an answer that they believe need to hear. Need to hear. Yeah. yeah. And then they will ask you questions back that will further expand. And that's, that for me is, is where courage comes from being willing and to put yourself in that position, you know, and, and so starting that as a, you know, in high school and college and continuing that, you know, for the last, however many years has been something that's been part of who I am. Very cool. Yeah. We talk about um, the different types of courage, intellectual courage, the courage to set aside your long held beliefs, the knowledge you currently have to make room for new knowledge. That yep. can be scary for some people, but to me, that's, that's like the big one the continuous learning. Show me what I'm doing wrong. You know, show me what's new, how I can do this differently. I love that kind of stuff. It's, um, and it's, yes. I'm sorry. I mean, I, no, I, no, no, that's okay. I, I think that the notion of continuous learning and part of it is this, I, I remember um, walking around one of the plants at Motorola one time with a fellow who was, um, had been uh, supervising one of the groups on the floor and now was in a more senior position. So he was doing research and other stuff. But we were walking around and happened by this bench. And he looked at this guy, looked at what the guy was doing. He said, what, 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 are, you, what are you doing? So the guy explained to him, he said, oh, well, why are you doing it that way? He said, well, that's the way that we've always done it. And my colleague said to him, well, you know, I came up with that means of doing this 10 years ago. And with advancements that we've made that have been made both in the company and out of the company since, I don't understand why we're still doing it that way. And the, the kid looked at him and said, well, because my boss has said that's the way we do it. And, you know, we're not allowed to ask questions. So that was one where we went, I didn't go, but he subsequently told me, he went to the boss and said, you know, maybe you ought to think about opening the door a little bit to growth and expansion and looking at new ways of doing things, because otherwise we're going to get our butts kicked so badly because people are going to be so far behind us or so far ahead of us. So, that's one. The other thing is, uh, and, you know, the, the notion, the difference between being in a position 
versus becoming better is something that I spend a lot of time with people thinking about and working on. And again, it's you, you've seen my book, Becoming an Insightful Leader. It's not about being, and being an insightful leader is great, but becoming one is even better because it means you're there and you're continuing to grow. And that for me is just, is, is what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to me about your book, Becoming an Insightful Leader, Charting Your Course to Purposeful Success. You know, it's it goes back to, I think, the the very first leadership role. Well, I mean, I, you know, I was a senior patrol leader in Boy Scouts. I was this, I was that. And then I was asked to be captain of the soccer team in my senior year of high school. And then I was asked to be captain of the track team in my senior year in college. And the kinds of things that I was asked to do as, as the leader in those environments, um, you know, at the time, I thought they were very specific to those environments. Looking back on them, I realized some of the things that the, the coaches who had asked me to do this or the, the scoutmaster or the, the team that elected me to be, they were looking for, they saw something in me that I didn't realize I had, which was this interest in continuing to learn and continuing to grow and continuing to help other people learn and grow. And it was something that that I just... I thought was amazing, you know, now as I look back at it. So the book is about, you know, too many people, when you talk about your career planning or your planning, they really get very down and, you know, this is what, this is the next job I want to have. This is the next job. And I, although for a lot of younger folks today, it's, it's more about the kinds of things they can do and where they can do them. But, you know, I've got this skill set, which means I can go on to this next step as opposed to, I think about things this way, which means I can encompass, I can, I can lead teams that are doing these kinds of things. And the the charting your course to purposeful success is about whether you're whatever you're thinking about, whether you're planning for um, your first 10 years working, whether you're planning for your second 10 years, whether you're planning for retirement, it's you you need to think about what are the kinds of of issues that I'm going to face and what are the goals and objectives that I have to get to by whatever the time frame is? I, I think we've talked about there are four or five simple questions that I ask people that came from my work doing strategic planning. Strategic planning in big corporation, I left big corporation and started working with smaller corporations and I tried to help them think about strategic planning from the way that Motorola did it. And very often they'd look at me like I was from another planet, which in fact I was. And then we would start talking about it. And I realized that strategic planning is about four four basic questions. First one, how do you define long-term? Second, what do you wanna look like when you get there? Third, where are you starting from? And fourth, what are the steps necessary to get from where you are to where you wanna be? And I realized that for strategic planning, you know, that's both strategic planning, that's operational planning. I realized at one point, I thought that was just for companies. And then I was talking to a gentleman pre-pandemic who, um, when I asked what long-term was for him, he said it was six months. I said, oh, that's interesting. So what's going on? He said, well, we've got issues in the family that just kind of we need to get over. And I said, oh, these questions actually are applicable for an individual as well as they are for a family. But then the fifth question that's also equally as important is as you're going down this path, you know, people think, oh, I've got the strategic plan, it's locked in, I don't need to do anything. You know, I, well, 
the strategic plan is also always morphing and you always have new opportunities. And what you need to do after you've got those questions answered is also have a process for looking at new and different opportunities that come up and for evaluating the new and different opportunities. And as importantly, when you decide to take on these new opportunities, you can then use the process to evaluate what you've already said you were going to do so you can decide what you're going to stop doing because most of us have limited resources. We've got limited time, we've got limited money, we've got limited people. And if we, you know, the intention or not the intention, but the inclination for a lot of, oh, we can take that one on, not a big deal. We can take, well, the second or third one that you bring on, you suddenly find that you're stretching the entire organization much too thin. You're stretching yourself much too thin. So you need to have a way of saying, well, I'm not going to put, I'm, I'm going to take this one off my priority list. Maybe I'll keep it over here on the side that I can look at occasionally. But having that process for evaluation of new opportunities, as well as your existing stuff that you're doing, is critical in terms of having this whole strategic process that you can use to learn and grow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of people think I have the plan together, I'm done. Like, no, that's, that's not the checkered flag. That's the green flag. You're starting and you have to look at it, review it. Is it getting me where I wanted to go? Am I still on the same path? Is this the right path to be on? Because as things change, maybe you need to take a detour, try something else. If you, if you think back, one of my favorites is, you know, and you, you may remember, you know, you do a strategic plan or whatever, and they would then be, whether it's in a notebook or whatever, and you'd put it up on the, you'd put it up and then. My favorite was going into companies and going into organizations, even in companies I worked in. When you walked in and, you know, they may have the mission on the wall. Then you say, well, tell me about the strategic plan. And they go and they pull it off their their shelf. And the sound of the plastic ripping, because it's the first time the thing has been touched since it was put up there. You know, now with our computers, it's on the computer. So we don't know when the last time was they looked at it. But this concept of continual assessment, of reassessment, you know, and, and again, it was something that Motorola did where we had a process every year where we looked at our plan and yeah, we had a, a long-term strategic plan, but we made changes in the plan as it went along. I mean, I there was just an article in the Chicago Tribune, um, it was on Sunday. Um, Sunday or Monday was the anniversary of the first quote cellular phone call, not on a, not on a network, but um, that was made by one of the guys who was heading the cellular development. And he was talking about the fact that cellular, you know, there were two-way radios before then, but they were in cars. And Motorola decided that they were going to develop the two-way, the, the, the cellular telephone. And AT&T, at least according to this story, said, well, we're going to continue working on, excuse me, the, the, the devices in automobiles. And so that different thought process of, gee, what can we change? How can we use this technology? How can we advance beyond this technology to now start you know, giving people the opportunity to be connected person to person as opposed to car to car or place to place? Phenomenal, just holy cow. And we look at it today and it's like, you know, of course. Well, of course. the technology to get to a cell site, you know, the notion of, you know, we had radio towers that would broadcast the the technology that allowed the handoff from cell site to cell site <clears throat> when you were moving. That was just, that was incredible. 
I mean, I, I'm not an engineer, but I and I was I didn't join Motorola till 15 years after they had come up with this stuff. I do remember I was at Centel when we made the first when the first call in the Chicago metropolitan area was made on a commercial cell site or cell cell system. It was just it was incredible to watch and see that develop and that happened because people were willing to stop and say, well, gee, you know, we've done this. Can we possibly extend that somehow? Incredible. Yeah, love that. Absolutely. So what's next for you? You've already accomplished so much. What's next? You know, I'm, I'm, I continue. For me, what's next is a lot of the stuff that I'm doing today, which is to be there to advise and coach and lead, to be there to, I I love introducing people and, and helping people make connections. You know, do you know somebody who knows something about X? And so for me, at least for the near term, for the relatively near term, it's continuing to do the coaching and advising types of work that I'm doing today. Um, It's continuing to um, be willing to give back to the community, um, to the community, to the organizations that I'm involved with, and continuing to find ways to pay it forward because I've been so fortunate to have had these opportunities along the way that I just need, you know, I, I want other people to have the benefits that I had. And to the extent that they can avoid some of the, the potholes and the craters that I've had to either go through or circumvent, I'd love to help them do that. And so I just, I want to continue doing that as long as I'm able. And, you know, it's, uh, it, 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 it will depend on how much I'm able to do that, you know, whether it's, it's, you know, Mentally, I hope that I continue to keep, you know, my my mental facilities together for a long, long time. And that's as long as I can do that, I'm able to continue to have conversations like this with people about, you know, here's things that I see that maybe you may want to move with and go forward with. Good job. Good job, David. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking time out. If people want to find you, um, connect with you and, and learn more about what you do and, and things and your book. How can they do that? What's your, what's your website? Uh, my website is spatolnikadvisors.com, www.spatolnikadvisors.com. Yeah. Um, you can also look, my, I'm on LinkedIn, um, my name under David Spatolnik. Um, uh, you know, those are the, those are the two main direct routes, but uh, through the organizations I'm part of, mentioned early on, I think the Private Directors Association, um, great organization that was formed five or six years ago when some guys said that there was a a lot of stuff around public corporations, but there was nothing around private corporations. And so that organization is currently about three or 4,000 people spread across, I think, not only the United States, but across the world. And so I just, you know, reach out and spatolnikadvisors.com or David Spatolnik on LinkedIn are, are the two ways. And then, you know, my email address is dspatolnik at spatolnikadvisors.com. Don't hesitate to reach out and I'll be happy to see what I can do to help you move whatever ball it is that you've got forward. Perfect. And your book, can they get your book um, off your website? The book, well, it's on, they can, I think you can get it through my website or it's on Amazon. It's just becoming an insightful leader. Um, and uh, I, I don't know that it is available directly through the website, but 
I don't think it is. I think you just have to go to Amazon to find it. Amazon. No worries. I will have all those links in the show notes so people can get in touch with you and uh, connect with you on LinkedIn and everything like that. So great. Perfect. David, thank you so much. Really appreciated your time. Well, Harlan, thank you for the opportunity. And uh, I will continue to look for folks who can benefit by having a conversation with you as well. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, listeners, hope you guys are taking a lot of notes. Good information here. Definitely check out uh, David's website. I will have all those uh, links in the show notes. Uh, so make sure you check all that out and check out his book too, Becoming an Insightful Leader, Not Being, Becoming. And I love that differentiation. Yeah, Becoming an Insightful Leader, Charting Your Course to Purposeful Success. And share this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues. Make sure you subscribe so you get notified every time a new episode drops. And stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for now. 